Welcome, friends, to Merit's Musings. This is a podcast for educators in the very broadest sense. I'm a public school teacher and a youth minister in my church and a parent. I've dedicated my life to helping people grow and learn. And I'm something of a writer and a poet, someone who loves language both for its artistry but also its power. In this podcast, I'm going to explore some of my informal thoughts on what it means to be human, especially in the context of being an educator, a minister, and a parent. Often, I will orient my musings around a poem I love, because any time I spend talking about poetry is time well spent in my book. I might also talk a bit about my dogs. If you're not the type of person who enjoys a little random dog talk, then this may not be the podcast for you. I invite you to join the conversation. Feel free to write me with your thoughts and feedback. My contact information is on our website, meritsmusings.buzzsprout.com, and on my Facebook page. And now, this week's episode. For this week, I have chosen to read The White Knight's Song by Lewis Carroll, uh, which is found in his book Through the Looking Glass, the second uh, of the Alice books. So here we go, The White Knight's Song by Lewis Carroll. I'll tell thee everything I can. There's little to relate. I saw an aged, aged man a-sitting on a gate. Who are you, aged man, I said, and how is it you live? And his answer trickled through my head like water through a sieve. He said, I look for butterflies that sleep among the wheat. I make them into mutton pies and sell them in the street. I sell them on to men, he said, who sail on stormy seas. And that's the way I get my bread. Trifle, if you please. But I was thinking of a plan to dye one's whiskers green. And I always use so large a fan that they could not be seen. So, having no reply to give to what the old man said, I cried, come, tell me how you live, and I thumped him on the head. His accent's mild took up the tale. He said, I go my ways, and when I find a mountain rill, I set it in a blaze. And thence they make a stuff they call Roland's Macassar Oil. Yet two pence halfpenny is all they give me for my toil. But I was thinking of a way to feed oneself on batter, and so go on from day to day getting a little fatter. I shook him well from side to side until his face was blue. Come, tell me how you live, I cried, and what it is you do. He said I hunk for haddock eyes among the heather bright and work them into waistcoast buttons in the silent night, and these I do not sell for gold or coin of silvery shine, but for a copper halfpenny, and that'll purchase nine. I sometimes dig for buttered rolls, or set lime twigs for crabs. I sometimes search the grassy knolls for wheels of handsome cabs. And that's the way, he gave a wink, by which I get my wealth, and very gladly will I drink your honors, noble health. I heard him then, for I had just completed my design to keep them an eye bridge from rust by boiling it in wine. I thanked him much for telling me the way he got his wealth, but chiefly for his wish that he might drink my noble health. And now, if here by chance I put my fingers into glue, or madly squeeze a right-hand foot into a left-hand shoe, or if I drop upon my toe a very heavy weight, I weep. For it reminds me so of that old man I used to know, whose look was mild, whose speech was slow, whose hair was whiter than the snow, whose face was very like a crow, with eyes like cinders all aglow, 
who seemed distracted from his woe, who rocked his body to and fro, and muttered mumblingly and low, as if his mouth were full of dough, who snorted like a buffalo that summer evening long ago, a sitting on a gate. So like all the poems, I picked this one because I love it. I love it so much I've memorized this poem uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it's a fun poem that I just like to have in my head when I've got other things that I should be thinking about, but I don't want to. And so I just roll this through my head because uh, it's uh, more fun than a pop song. Uh, I also have memorized this one because one of the units I do with my uh, English class is have them participate in the Poetry Out Loud uh, program, which is the National Poetry Memorization and Recitation Project done by the NEA, um, which is just an incredible program. And if you're an educator out there, please consider it. Well, if you're an English educator out there, please consider it. Um, you know, they do contests and it, you can go to the state and you should check out the their videos online. They're amazing um, of the students who are winners. Uh, so I use this poem and memorize it and recite it in front of my class when my, to sort of counteract my students saying things like, I can't memorize 14 lines of Shakespeare. That's impossible. Ah. And of course, this is a nice long poem to balance that out. But along with it being just delightful and fun with all sorts of crazy images and crazy ideas, uh, I love it. Uh, because it has some meaning to it. Lewis Carroll was a master of burying ideas in playful language. Um, and so I uh, am wise enough to sort of look beneath the surface and see what's going on here. And there's several things that I really like here that I find very useful as an educator to keep in mind. Uh, the first is this idea of questioning. The main character, the narrator, wants an answer to a question. How is it that you live? Every time the person answers, he's thinking about something else. And that, I think, is important uh, for me as an educator because I'm asking questions all the time, right? That's my core of my job is to constantly and formally assess where we are, right? I relay some content. I have them practice a skill. I'm looking at papers. But more than anything, I'm asking questions. Sometimes those questions are to review, did you get the content? Often those are leading questions, probing and prompting, trying to get them to reach some particular place through a series of guided questions. It's one of the reasons why teaching is exhausting, because the questioning patterns um, are set to some degree, but it's very contextual. And so it's the set of questions I need to ask this particular student to get to this particular place are different from a set of questions I ask the student next to him or her. And, and that sort of mental chess is one of the reasons why I come home uh, without a functioning brain cell <laughs> and end up sort of flumping about my house trying to remember how I boil water for eggs, right? Um, so questioning is critical, and yet... How often in education and in life do we ask questions and not have the patience to wait for the answer, but our head is already moving somewhere else? Uh, that's a fundamental listening skill that I think I am horrible at and really need to learn better. And I think many of us are. 
because our minds are moving so quickly. We live in an age that is so busy, so hyperstimulated. We'll talk about hyperstimulation in just a minute. But this idea that we it's foreign for us to pause and silence and wait. It's a trained skill, and it's not one we have. We fill up all silences. We're a culture scared of silence. There must be noise all the time. There must be music in my ears. There must be stimulation. Silence threatens us in odd and unusual ways. And mental silence is part of that pattern too. And so uh, I ask a question with a student, and I'm already thinking about what I think they're going to answer and what my next question is going to be if, if I'm doing a pattern or what I'm doing next, or I ask a question of my family, and I'm already thinking about three other things at the same time. And I might get some of their answer, but it's rare that I'm fully present listening to what they have to say and how they say it. I, I teach rhetoric, and uh, that includes nonverbal communication and tone and syntax and all the ways that the style of language and the delivery of language matters beyond the content. But that requires attention, right? I spend so much time teaching my AP Lang students how to read in a much more concentrated, intentful way, noticing everything. But then again, I'm a hypocrite because do I listen that way, right? When there's so much information that they can provide. I think in some degree, that's one of the great lessons my dogs teach me because they don't pay any attention to content except for a few key words, right? Outside, cookie, right? That's about it, walk, uh, leash. Um, what they pay attention to is delivery all the time. Right? What is my tone of voice? What is my pacing? Who am I talking to? Uh, that's their communication. Um, and of course, that's how they communicate with me. They only have a few, well, maybe 50 to 100 different sounds. And I need to then figure out what, what it is they're trying to communicate. Um, and it's perhaps embarrassing that I am more mindful and listen better to my dogs than to my students. <laughs> or to the human members of my family. So, first thing I take from this particular poem is a reminder that when I ask a question, I should be listening for the answer, not thinking about something else. Right? Um, this also reminds me of um, the StoryCorps book that I have on my shelf from NPR StoryCorps program. Uh, and the book is wonderful, but the title um, is the sort of thing that should stick with all of us forever. And the title is Listening is an Act of Love. Um, and I think that's, that is incredibly true in um, Christianity and probably in other religious traditions as well. Uh, we often talk about the ministry of presence, that sometimes the best way to show love, to uh, re reveal God is just to be with someone when they have a need, not to fix, not to do anything except for be there. Um, and in, in my version of Christianity, uh, Lutheran Christianity, that's a key idea for God, that um, God is the person who really sees, who sees and understands us, and who stays with us all the time. Um, because sometimes... God doesn't solve the problem. There are many, many times where 
God wants us to be in the midst of the problem uh, for various purposes that are beyond us. And we have to trust that him putting us in that particular place is important and meaningful and significant. But he will be with us. Um, And I think that goes back to education and family too, right? Uh, There is a power to presence, to always being there. And that probably is meaningful greatly for me because um, my own father was not a consistent presence. And so I um, worked very hard as, as a father to try to rectify that particular gap and to make sure that presence is something that I bring to the party. I think it's also true in the classroom. Um, uh, that's one of the reasons why I try not to miss school um, because I, I, want, I want to be there. I want my kids to know they can trust that I'm going to be there. That being said, I have to take days off to grade papers, but, you know, you balance out what you can. So, back to the poem. He's asking questions. He's not listening to answers, right? And his head, inside his head, he's going everywhere, right? He's thinking about dyeing his whiskers green and then using a fan, so he's the only one who knows it. He's thinking um, about eating batter and getting gaining weight. He's thinking about how you can fix rust by boiling in wine. His mind's going everywhere. And that resonates with me because... Reading that now, I think, ah, ADD, right? Tension deficit disorder, mind's going everywhere. And that's the place I live, right? Um, That's my uh, diagnosis. That's my world. Um, And uh, it's the world of most of my students or many of my students. And not medically, but just sort of casually, I think attention deficit disorder is the scenario of our society, Going back to that need for constant stimulation, uh, we constantly are moving our heads around. And as a society, we have not trained ourselves well in how to maintain our own attention. We need external support, right, to keep our minds where we want them to be. So we use music and other techniques because we haven't trained ourselves well. And so for this poem, uh, I I read this and I think, aha, here's someone managing um, their own uh, attention deficit. And he had a moment of clarity, right? I heard him then for I just completed my design where he is metacognitive enough to realize, okay, I'm now here. I can listen. And I think uh, that metacognitiveness is what I'm trying to train in all of my students, not just the ones with official ESC and 504 designations, but also um, everyone, right? Are you aware of where your head is at any moment in time? Do you know when you're confused? Do you know when you're getting it? Do you know when you're struggling? Do you know when your emotions are uh, clouding your process? Do you know when your emotions are enhancing your process? Uh, Are you aware of your own act of thinking? Uh, Thoreau stated it that we need to be beside ourselves or have a split personality in a rational way that instead of having it be, you know, multiple personality disorder or whatever the current term is that I've I've forgotten, um, but that we should have a running commentary where we're looking at ourselves and always functioning at two levels. This is me doing something and this is me observing me doing something, Um, which can be exhausting, of course, to run two tracks in your head continuously. But it is 
how to make sure that your mind is functioning at the very best, right? You have the part of your mind that is doing the work and you have the supervisor uh, evaluating it and then advising it. Um, and that poem reminds me to track that and to pay attention to that and to help my students track that. But finally and most importantly, like most of the things that I learn and think about, this poem reminds me of a very simple idea that goes back to this idea of presence. And that is the line, I thanked him much for telling me the way he got his wealth, but chiefly for his wish that he might drink my noble health. And I like that because in the end, it wasn't the answer that was important. It was the emotional connection between the man and him. He's asking this question, how do you make your money? How do you make your money? How do you make your money? But what he remembered mostly, and what was most important, was the man saying, and I hope you have a nice life, right? Uh, and then the end of the poem is him thinking about every time something goes wrong, he remembers this guy who he had this one conversation with and who he misses because they had an authentic moment. And that's the heart of teaching, right? Uh, it's that old cliche they won't know, they won't care what you know until they know that you care, right? Um, and I, of course, distrust proverbs and uh, panaceas and bromides, but sometimes there's some wisdom hidden in those cute little cliches. And that's a piece of wisdom that's really there, right? But before any of that content goes through, I got I to gotta do the ethos moves. I got to build the trust. I got to show that I'm concerned about them. I got to show that they matter. And then they might trust me enough to learn from me. Same thing with family, right? Every parent knows that the punishment only works when the kid does whatever the kid did. If you couch it in and around the importance of family connection and love, right? And that I love you very much. And because I love you, I expect more of you. And so you have to sit in the pink plastic chair in the corner for two minutes or whatever the timeout is, right? But without that, the two-minute lesson doesn't, doesn't mean anything. It just, it just is a thing that's happening in isolation. It has to be couched in and around the emotional connections. And those emotional connections matter so much longer than the content. Because again, end of the poem, he's not remembering what the guy does, all those different jobs. He's just remembering the emotional connection. So I bring to you, as we approach Christmas, the White Knight song in the hopes that I, and maybe you, but mostly me, will remember that when I ask questions, I need to actually listen for those answers. Uh, and I need to learn to be metacognitive and recognize that I'm going to get distracted, but I need to process those distractions and make sense of them and pay attention to when I can uh, actually pay attention. Uh, and finally, to remember that it is the emotional connections that really create the possibility of learning uh, in our community. Uh, so with that in mind, I wish you the very best of whatever holy days you happen to celebrate. Uh, those of you who are teachers, enjoy a winter break uh, and be safe out there, guys. <laughs>